Hello, this is Deborah Anderson, the Black Woman Animator, coming back to you with another video. And in this video, I have Craig Clark. Welcome. Hello, welcome, uh, welcome can everyone. You give, can you give a little intro about yourself? Hi, I'm Craig Clark. Uh, boy, I've been in the business for quite a while, <laughs> over 40 years, believe it or not. Nice. So uh, yeah, I started uh, in Santa Monica, where I, I grew up. I was born in Santa Monica and grew up in Malibu area. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, uh, my mom was a school teacher in the Santa Monica schools, and I had affinity for doing drawings. So I would come into the school classrooms and they help the kids draw. And mm -hmm. then uh, it just happens that uh, one of the kids was actually a son of an animator mm -hmm. who uh, brought, uh, basically, I, you know, <clears throat> one of the, uh, um, the uh, the sons had a like a career day type of a thing, and they mm -hmm. brought in the Flip Wilson special, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. the uh, nineteen seventy four Flip Wilson special, and uh, you know I kind of hit it off with them, and uh, I started an apprenticeship at Duck Soup Productions. I was like fourteen years old at that time, nice. and uh, for like five years I was uh, basically going in and out uh, doing tests for them, and I eventually mm -hmm. ended up working for them uh, during the college. Uh, uh, summers when I was going to college at Cal State Long Beach. And from there, um, I just started freelancing around town and uh, started doing character animation, effects mm -hmm. animation, eventually um, uh, uh, 3D animation, and mm -hmm. uh, went back from 3D animation into a traditional, you know, uh, 2D draw drawing animation because I miss drawing because, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I was, I was doing a lot of um, non-drawing related animation. And I want mm -hmm. to get back to that because that's kind of my first love. So I just kept with that. And then eventually I started uh, telling stories, writing comics. And uh, now I'm like an independent animator uh, doing uh, my own show called The Custom Monsters. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, do, I still do freelance, et cetera. But uh, it's kind of self-contained. Um, I use Flash at this point. I'm uh, going on the next feature. I've done two feature films out of my house, out of the studio here, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, 20 television episodes out of my house here, <laughs> half yeah. hour apiece uh, for the past 10 years. Uh, they've been on OSI 74, on Roku. You can see them, uh, the mm -hmm. Custom Monsters show. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. And I'm going to do a, um, a third Custom Monsters movie, and I'm going to transition from Flash to Toon Boom. So now in the process okay. of relearning uh, Toon Boom. Yeah. And I want to take all the skills. I used to do music as well. So mm -hmm. I want to do my own album that goes with it. So, so it'll be kind of a musical type of a thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll bring in, um, recently, I've been exploring my ancestry through ancestry.com. Okay. And I found out that I'm actually <laughs> an indigenous American on both sides of my family. Mm -hmm. So uh, as I've been doing uh, research, I found out that uh, many Black Americans that are... Um, from the United States are actually American Indians, about 85% mm -hmm. of them. Um, we were misclassified as uh, African-Americans. Uh, mm -hmm. Only about 15% actually came from Africa. If you can go to slavevoyages.com, you can mm -hmm. actually see the shipping manifest and you can see exactly how many people they brought over. So mm -hmm. um, we've basically been hoodwinked a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, I found out that uh, my side of the family, um, on my dad's side of the family, we go back to 250 BC. Mm -hmm. in the United States. And my mom's side of the family, I've gone far as back as the 1600s. So it's basically the Revolutionary War and the Powhatan tribe. And I've yeah. been uh, doing some um, um, American Indian cartoons I did on the Chata side, mm -hmm. on my dad's side. 
I did one for Chief Warhorse, <laughs> and mm -hmm. I'm starting to do some shorts with that. And as of yesterday, I just finished one with the Akamak tribe, who's one of the Powhatan uh, uh, Confederacy tribes. Uh, mm -hmm. My mom's side is, is from the Pamunkey tribe. So yeah, I'm, I'm trying to bring that out since I come from an education background and yeah. uh, you know tell these stories that, that people don't really know. And uh, hopefully that'll give people a little bit of bit, uh, uh, you know, information and and proud to be an American and then yeah. figure out exactly where we come from, who we are, and to kind of reclaim our place in in this country. You know, yeah. so that's that's kind of at this late point in my life, I figured, you know, with, with the Hollywood studio system, you know, it's off and on, up and down. So I'm I'm figuring out that I'm more of an independent animator, and kind of my mission at this point is to kind of bring that story out so yeah. that's kind of where i am at this point and uh you know i'm also teaching as well so i'm keeping that together so no, that's long the story of it <laughs> that's kind of where i am right at this point okay so you said um you're from uh santa monica and grew mm -hmm. up in Malibu, so can you talk about how it was growing up um not necessarily directly related to animation just like uh -huh. how was it yeah um you know um it's interesting. Santa Monica is a beach town, and uh, let's see. Uh, actually, my my on my father's side, uh, uh, there was a migration from New Orleans. Uh, mm -hmm. Actually, my uh, my aunt uh, on my on my dad's side came out from in the '40s first, and during World War II, and then later my grandmother, who uh, grew up in, in in New Orleans, the Slidell area, uh, mm -hmm. she passed away three days three years before I was born, but okay. she was out in Santa Monica as well. And of course, my uh, father made his, his way out to Santa Monica as well. So uh, it's a funny story there. Uh, on my dad's side of the family, um, you know, old um, uh, Slidell uh, coming from Indian Village, etc. cetera. And mm -hmm. uh, she, she used to cook for Louis Armstrong <laughs> nice. uh, back in the, in, in the 40s, uh, actually the 30s. Um, let's see, it was 1930, right after the Mississippi flood, which was 27. And um, uh, Lou Armstrong had a, uh, a gig at the Cotton Club West, which is in Culver City. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, he finished that, that up that gig and went back to New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And my, my, I guess my grandmother knew uh, Louis, you know, because mm -hmm. before he went to New Orleans, he was practicing his stuff in Slidell. Okay. And so mm -hmm. I guess, you know, he's working on his chops so he can get to the big city, which is New Orleans. And so they okay. knew each other, you know. And so every Friday, uh, she would cook him some meal, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's funny. I, I guess she was a good cook because we have this gumbo recipe has been going through the family, you know. Everybody's yeah. doing it now. So anyway, he did this cartoon, the Betty Boop cartoon. Mm -hmm. And you probably saw it. Uh, he, he left there and went to New York. And it was called, uh, I'll be glad when you're dead, you rascal you. And it's all, it's all about cooking, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm thinking, I put two do good. I didn't know this until years later. Right. And you know, I actually met um, Grim Natwick, who developed Betty Boop at Duck Soup Productions. But I mm -hmm. didn't know the story at that time because I would have, right. you know, approached him at that point. So yeah. anyway, and then my mom, she's from Ohio. And as I did do my research, uh, uh, her side of the family came from um, Virginia originally. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I did the research where um, they came through uh, during the Revolutionary War. They were in Virginia. And during the Civil War, uh, there was a migration from um, um, Virginia to Ohio. 
Mm-hmm. So my mom and my dad met in Ohio and, and got married and then went to Santa Monica. So there's a kind of a group of uh, mostly uh, Southern trans, tra- plants plants in Santa Monica. So it was a little bit, um, it was a small black community there. Mm-hmm. And so I went to Amy Church, et cetera, et cetera. And then mm-hmm. you know, I played sports there. I played football and all that stuff. And my dad was a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of a um, semi-professional athlete now, so he was, kind of, you know, he was very, very adept and in, in, uh, he led it in four sports. So I was playing a lot of sports, you know, mm-hmm. and I was into into uh, drawing and education and all that. So, so it was a well-rounded thing. Now, yeah. um, when I went to Malibu, I was like the only black person there, because mm-hmm. that's you know kind of a upscale place. Um, I think uh, <laughs> there were just a handful. There was like uh, Flip Wilson's son was there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Matt Robinson and um, um, uh, Holly Robinson, you probably know she's she's an actress. Yeah, she yeah. you know we grew up with them, so we, everybody knows each other, you know. But mm-hmm. you know, we went to high school. It was at Santa Monica High School, so they bus us from Malibu to to Santa Monica. So it, it was, and there, there, I didn't feel any kind of um, um, racism in Santa Monica or in, in Malibu, which was cool. Mm-hmm. But. Mm-hmm. <laughs> When I went to like other parts of Los Angeles, like Orange County, it was a whole different deal, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was, you know, yeah, yeah. you're <laughs> surfing, and they're like, you know, watch out for the no blow and stuff, you know. So it's like, what the, you know, so all kinds of stories on that. But that was later when I went to college at Cal State Long Beach. Okay. So um, yeah, you know, and and then I kind of grew up in, um, you know, we're in Hollywood, mm. and so you know, the studios were still happening. Um, MGM was still in business in, in mm-hmm. Culver City. We drive there and you see the different uh, movies going by. And 20th Century Fox was still around. But basically, I remember before they did the demolishment for Century City, they mm-hmm. still had the sets of like Hello Dolly, you know, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was on the West Side Studios. And then the Valley Studios in, you know, the, like Warner Brothers and Disney, I didn't really go over that that much. But the okay. West Side, you know, you, you go to <laughs> and you see, the, you know, so there's always there. In fact, I was a precocious kid. Uh, I remember looking in the phone book mm-hmm. and I was looking up Hal Roach. Oh, Hal Roach. Oh, his, oh, his phone number is it. Let me give him a call. So he's <laughs> the director of the Little Rascals. I call him up. Hi, is this Hal Roach? Oh, yes, it is. I like your films. Oh, thank you very much. Goodbye, Mr. Rose. Goodbye. And it was actually him. And I was like, <laughs> he's in the phone book. You know, it's like, so I was doing stuff like that. So, you know, anyway. <laughs> that was a cool thing so about that, the phone book. I would look up my like teachers. I wouldn't call them, but I would like, like find uh, out the first name of my teachers in school and be like, hmm, what is their phone number? Oh, okay, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I know. I call them up. I know. Yeah, it's, it's it's it was a trip. So I haven't seen a phone book in years. So I guess yeah. they still print them. Huh? But <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah I, like, I kind of. I, I just moved to LA last year from New Orleans after twelve years. Oh, so you're I'm in Los Angeles. Okay. I, I with like the. LA to LA migration. Um, uh-huh. Some of my friends uh, had people who moved from Louisiana to um, Los Angeles or like California. So I'm familiar with that, like migration. Right. And then I'm familiar with Slidell because I lived in. Oh, California. you know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. You know, Chief Warhorse, the whole deal, huh? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, yeah. Yeah. So, Clarks. Um, We've been there forever. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the Porter Cemetery, that's my family cemetery. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, or so, were your parents supportive of your, of your artistic interests? 
They were, you know, um, from an early age, you know, because uh, I was, you know, I, I was interested in anime, watching cartoons since I was a little dude. You know? <laughs> I remember, you know, Channel 11 was our favorite channel, you know, and, you know, it, they'd see me drawing. And uh, I think at 10 years old, I, I did this whole little book of uh, uh, cartoons, you know, all yeah. by animal groups. They had the pig page, you know, the dog page. <laughs> and yeah, it's like that. And we had, first we had a black and white television, so I didn't have the colors. And yeah. so I just draw them off the black and white. And then I go to the Newberries <laughs> and look at the comic books and the coloring books to see what the colors And I go back home, color them. Okay, this one's blue. <laughs> you know, because I didn't know. So yeah, there was always, you know, you know, and, and then, you know, when I was at doing the thing at Duck Soup at 14, it was like, oh, well, he's found something he wants to do, you know, so mm -hmm. that they kind of knew that that's what I wanted to do, but they wanted to make sure that I got a college education. Yeah. So that was the deal. Cause I was thinking of just going to, to CalArts and, mm -hmm. and then they looked at it and they said, well, you're not really getting a, a well-rounded education. And then when I was at Duck Soup, um, they were saying, you know, you probably want to get a more education, well-rounded education, even though they knew CalArts was a good school. It's just starting at that point. Right. So I went to Cal State Long Beach as well. Uh, and uh, it was a really good school yeah. as far as the drawing uh, skills, especially the life drawing and the illustration and all that stuff. It was really strong. And I was getting my animation background uh, on the job. Yeah. And okay. so I ended up doing two films, you know, so it, it worked out. But, uh, you know, I knew from the beginning it, it, it's tough to stay employed because the, the old guys mm -hmm. would tell me, you know, the, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of like layoffs and you bump from mm -hmm. studio to studio that and even that was back in those days. Right. So, yeah, I know it's going to be a challenge, but that's what I wanted to do. So, yeah, they were they were behind it. They were behind it. Yeah. So what do you think the benefits of the well-rounded uh, education was like? Um, did you did you see it immediately or or looking back? Do you see, OK, that's why they wanted me to get the well-rounded education? <laughs> Well, I, you know, I, you know, coming from the education background, I knew that uh, it was important. Mm -hmm. And then as I, I move on through life, then especially business, which mm -hmm. they didn't really yeah. teach at art school. And right. I think that it really should be a, a, a especially that last semester, uh, recommend, mm -hmm. you know, a prerequisite, you know, to get out of there. Because if, yeah. you, if you're an artist, you have to know how to do your taxes. You have to do, yeah. you know, how to put a business together and, you know, all that stuff should be uh, included. But uh, as far as like, you know, history and geography and uh, I don't know, um, biology and you know, things that, that, you know, if you're animating a show or writing a show, you're going to have to know about these things. If you have yeah. a background, that's going to help you. Like, right. for instance, uh, Steve Hillenberg, who uh, developed SpongeBob, he was a marine biologist major, mm -hmm. and then he went into animation. So you see how that turned out. Yeah. <laughs> SpongeBob, it was all about marine biology, essentially. But, you know, he had that background, and that gave him the impetus because of that well-rounded background to do his animation character. So, yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah it, you know, it, it, it worked. But then you have to go back and, you know, <clears throat> figure out, you know, what, what animation principles are and all that stuff. So yeah. you're, you're kind of doubling your work. But you, it it kind of helps you in the background, you know, mm -hmm. and something to fall back on. So, yeah, that's that's my thought. So, how did you end up getting cast in the educational short "Forgive and Forget"? <laughs> <laughs> that, you, oh, you go way back now. So this is 1968. So I was in third grade and going to um, it was a John Muir school, mm -hmm. and then I, you know, basically. <laughs> E. E. Schwartz, who was the principal of the school, yeah. knew uh, this uh, actor, and his name was uh, Shep Minkin. Yeah. 
-hmm. and he's the voice that did Charlie the Tuna and uh, Clyde Crash Cup, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, he was looking for some kids. So this is 68. So that's, you know, it was a very volatile period. You know, we were coming out of what happened to, to Martin and the, mm -hmm. the riots were going on. They were trying to come up with a uh, uh, kind of a, 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 a warm, sensitive, uh, you know, subject to bring the people together, to bring the races mm -hmm. together. So they came up with this movie called Forgive and Forget, which is a uh, 16 millimeter, 15 minute short. And, uh, my name came up because <laughs> you know, I was going to school. I was in third grade at the time mm -hmm. and they met me and said, Oh, good. Go ahead and do it. You know? So I shot it there and shot it in Malibu and, uh, in Hollywood. And, you know, I guess it was a, I was a, a hit, educational hit, at least. <laughs> I, I go to LA schools. I know you, you were in school, <laughs> especially playing football in Venice. You know, it's like, Hey, you were in that chicken movie, right? And he's like, you know, yeah, I was man. So anyway, <laughs> so I, I was thinking, well, maybe I want to be an actor because at that point, um, uh, 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 the Julia show was happening, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the Markipage thing with the Diane Carroll and all that stuff. And I was mm -hmm. like, and, there, and I had like an agent for a while mm -hmm. and there weren't any worlds at that point. It was like it was like two black actors. It was like uh, Mark Capaz and George Spell, Sp mm -hmm. Spell, and he was getting everything, and, and that was it at that point. Yeah. So it's different now, but you know, anyway. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> so that, you know, it's like okay, well, it's not too much acting job. Maybe it's good to stick with the animation. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> I went that route. <laughs> so um, yeah. as someone who got opportunities in high school. Uh -huh. um, I, I teach at a media arts high school right now in Crenshaw. Right. So is there any advice that you can give to my ninth and 10th graders that I teach for like getting started now? <laughs> getting started now? Yeah. Um, learn as much life drawing as you can. Okay. And mostly if you want to do animations, mostly quick sketches. Mm. Um, you, you, you go to the beach, you go to the coffee shop or, or you know, yeah, sit in the basketball court and just do quick sketches and, and storytelling drawings and sequential art and that type of thing. And just because it's it's going to take about 10,000 drawings to yeah. get, the, get, to get the, the bad drawings out and get the good ones going. So the more you do, the better. And also, um, um, you know, look at light and, uh, and, and shadow and study light. Uh, study perspective because that's mm -hmm. another thing because um, you want to put your characters in a background mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know look at film and stop you know, since we all have video now you can freeze frame stuff and yeah. just do draw overs and you can find out a lot about you know camera angles and and perspective and things like that through that and even um, fine art mm -hmm. um, you can you can you know do your interpretation of whatever you know like a Tiepolo drawing whatever you know um, also, uh, study color. Your color theory is very, very mm -hmm. important, um, especially nowadays with the with the uh, CG. Um, mm -hmm. I've noticed a lot of really intense art direction. Mm -hmm. So look at a lot of um, animated films, modern animated films. Um, they're, they're really, really strong with the art direction. So, mm -hmm. so that's probably be a good thing. And watch as many films as you can. So yeah, and just keep going. Don't stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is the part of the interview where I list uh, like products you worked on. And the important part is that um, even though we're few in the animation industry, there's more than we realize. And so just highlighting yeah. that black people have worked on some of your favorite things. So um, oh. you've been like 
layout artist, character layout artist, storyboard artist, animator, visual effects. You've been everything. So um, mm -hmm. you worked on A Nightmare on Elm Street. This is America Charlie Brown, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, The Simpsons, An American Tale, Feeble Goes West, Frosty Returns, Rugrats, Rocco's Modern Life, Adam's Family Values, Forrest Gump, The Mask, Mortal Kombat, Mission Hill, The Oblongs, and then many more out outside of that, but also some personal right. projects is Astro Throw, The Custom Monsters, and Friends, Timbuktu, and The Custom Monsters movie. So uh -huh. that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not even everything. So uh -huh. what are the what are the various like new technologies you took the time to learn throughout your career? Because I know um, on Forrest Gump, you did like JFKK's mouth, and then I guess on the mask, was that your first CG experience? Or yeah, that era when they brought me up to ILM. Yeah, I was like yeah. going to school every day. That was amazing. So what, are, <laughs> so what are the various technologies that were like new at the time that you were the one who was like, oh, I'll take, I'll take a shot at this? <laughs> right. Yeah. Really. Um, basically, it was it was during the um, Auto Man show. Mm -hmm. Auto Man was produced by the same producer that produced Tron. Mm -hmm. So basically it was the same crew and the same camera that the Tron was, you know. So we're doing like really uh, early motion control stuff. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the person who wrote the software is Bill Tondro, I remember. And uh, that, that means uh, computer controlled camera. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't basically a hand crank thing. It was, it was a computer that had a, had a motor. And they would put in inputs as far as like the the different directions, six different you know, yaw pitch roll, y x y and z, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm -hmm. And they would um, do uh, uh, camera moves that way, mm -hmm. and uh, get, you get the slit scan stuff and all that special effects stuff. And then when you're writing your exposure sheets, you got these huge pieces of paper that, that you, you know, because you know it ha they have all these different passes, and and uh, you know, you've probably seen the like the Seven Up commercials and things that, that Robert and Abel was doing. So that yeah. was my first entry into um, really sophisticated animation. It was bottom lit. Yeah. Most of it was bottom lit, uh, meaning that the uh, the uh, uh, you'd have a lot of uh, um, 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 extra paper and frosted cells, and mm -hmm. uh, we'd have different filters in the camera, and uh, you'd have a different wedges where it touches tests of exposure, and you mm -hmm. pick your your exposure, etc. And you, you do different passes and things like that. Very expensive, laborious process of uh, mm -hmm. really CG look, but uh, that was uh, the engine at the time, and so from that. We use that same technology. I don't remember if you saw the movie um, a Star Chaser. Uh, I don't think I've seen that. I'm yeah, sure that was 19, 1985. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a um, uh, an homage to um, uh, Star Wars. And mm -hmm. we'd have some early CG, probably the first CG in, in town for an independent production uh, mm -hmm. of spaceships. And so we would basically, um, <laughs> it was like a dock matrix printer. Uh, was what we, we print that out onto the cells on mm -hmm. you know, this is stereoscopic. It was left eye, right eye, etc. Okay, yeah. And so basically, the way we would animate it was um, uh, we'd get out uh, graph paper, and we figure out where the you take the layout and figure out where the the uh, ship should be, and mm -hmm. you pull up a frame under a little, <laughs> you know, monochromatic, uh, 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 you know, computer at that point. Okay, we'll rough it. It's going to be here. And then we'll come up with another frame and then figure out, oh, it's going to be there. So in our graph paper, we would have, um, 
uh, numeric coordinates for each little point on the screen, mm -hmm. X, Y, Z, Rob, Rob, y'all pitch and roll, etc. And mm -hmm. so, for instance, we have a spaceship, you know, coming towards camera and turning, going that way. And mm -hmm. so there might be six extremes. And so there'll be six different numerical coordinates, right? Yeah. And so, you know, that, okay, that looks good. And so we would send those numbers to get crunched. Um, you know, so it'd be a nice logarithmic uh, progression, you know, numerically, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. then that would translate into the position of the digital ship <laughs> that would be printed out on a cell yeah. <laughs> and painted on the back. And, and we had to do left eye and right eye. So, mm -hmm. you know, and it was your stereoscopic ship and it worked great. You know, it worked with the hand-drawn animation and we'd have uh, some bottom lid animation for the lasers and things like that. And then it kind of worked. And this is 1985. So... Mm -hmm. I was working with Bill Croyer and uh, Chris Bailey. And mm -hmm. we, we were like the th three guys doing it using the same Tron technology, the same Tron camera that we're using for Ottoman and Misfits of Science and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that so, okay, that was the beginning of CGI. Oh, see, that's interesting. All right, great. And so I didn't really pick up uh, more CG animation until uh, 94. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because, you know, um, this is way before uh, Pixar, et cetera, et cetera, obviously. And uh, I was still doing, uh, you know, just hand-drawn animation, um, no, um, hand-drawn effects and character animation, et cetera. And then I think the last project that was traditional on film for me was Adam's Family Values. And that was 1993. Mm -hmm. And then I was approached by ILM. They saw my, you know, oh, he's the electricity guy. He'd been doing electricity. Okay, why don't you come up to 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 ILM, you know? And so that was a real mind blower because that was the first time I was actually on a computer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, everything was digital. You know, mm -hmm. there's no, no drawing at all. Mm -hmm. And so that was like going to college again, but intense. Your, your lunch periods would be like classes, you know? Yeah. You know, and they write their own software. All the software that we use, like Maya and all the aliases, you know, that didn't exist. They didn't have yeah. their, you know, they, you know, in fact, uh, they had their own um, uh, render at that point called iShade. This mm -hmm. was before RenderMan was still under Apple and all that stuff. They had their own, um, you know, um, software. And mm -hmm. so ILM, they write their own tools. And so, you know, I was, um, or the first thing I was doing was uh, Roto. And mm -hmm. so we'd use Parallax. And that was on Casper. I was on the Casper for like a week. And then they moved me to, uh, I think it was, um, I think it was, it was um, um, Forrest Gump first. And mm -hmm. then it was the mask. So mm -hmm. I did Forrest Gump first. They, they looked at my stuff that I did, Duck Soup. I did this, <laughs> this funny uh, commercial. It was a, um, uh, Levi's commercial mm -hmm. with a uh, talking dog, and I animate the dog. You know, Billy, here's a legend on our block. You know, it was a dog talking, right, with a little yeah. kid. Said, oh, he could do lip sync, you know. So I learned my lip sync from Ambie Palawata, was a Disney animator, right? And then mm -hmm. it's the same cues that I use. Well, why don't you come and, uh, you know, work on this, uh, you know, John F. Kennedy animation here? So, yeah. <laughs> Animating, you know, with this uh, software called uh, Elastic Reality, which I was learning on the spot, mm -hmm. uh, working with Jug Chang, who actually was the art director for the new Star Wars. Uh, in fact, they were working on, uh, you know, they had the three Star Wars films, and they were going to do three more, and there was like the secret project, Project X, you know, he'd be doing that inside while I was working on, you know. So it's like, and he ended up, um, uh, the guy I was working with, Doug Chang, ended up art directing all the, uh, the, the newer, the 
mm-hmm. you know, newer Star Wars. And so, you know, working together on that. And uh, there were a lot of other shots that we did. Uh, Lieutenant Dan with the replacing of legs. And I was learning how mm-hmm. to paint digitally and all the mm-hmm. green screen, blue screen, et cetera, et cetera. And that worked out really well because we were just seeing it, uh, you know, shot by shot. Yeah, and then I actually worked on the very first opening scene, which is the the feather that's floating down. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was doing dust busting on that. They animated it digitally, so I was learning how to dust bust, you know. Yeah. And so they were so busy; they had eight films going on at the time that they can only have um, uh, three film, three frames online, mm-hmm. and they had to like blow it off and then bring on three more because they had like eight projects going on. They had. You know, um, you know, the mask and, and yeah. you know, all these you know, babies day out and all these things. So this is before storage space was uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, widespread as it is now. But uh, that was really interesting. And then on uh, they, they finished that up and then went to the mask. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was really interesting, as, as you probably can imagine. I was doing a lot of digital painting on that. Uh, the mask gets pulled off. Mm-hmm. And there's dance sequences while I was doing little digital cleanup, you know, and, and things like that. So that was really, really fun. So, yeah. So I got then on the side at night and on the weekends, I was learning um, soft homage because I, okay. I wanted to learn 3D animation. Because a lot of, at that point, they were training 2D animation people to be 3D animation people mm-hmm. because they weren't teaching in the schools. It was very new. So yeah. mm-hmm. there was a point there where they were training uh, 2D people to make that transition. Some studios, Disney would do that, DreamWorks would do that later, and Island was doing it as well. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was learning that on my own. And so at that point, I was there for like maybe six or seven months, mm-hmm. and there was a layoff, and I got married. Mm-hmm. And my wife was working in Hollywood. Uh, she was assistant editor at the time. So I basically left Island and went to uh, RGA mm-hmm. and worked on Mortal Kombat. And at that point, I had, you know, Soft Homage was under my belt. And uh, there was other software, uh, Eddie, mm-hmm. which was a new compositing software that they were coming up with and a bunch of other stuff. And so I got really good at that. I was, the story building skills, you know, I, I was storyboarded the uh, direct-to-video thing with goes of Mortal Kombat, you know. So mm-hmm. I was using more of my muscle, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it was, it, was, it was really cool. And so I can continue with that and then went to DreamWorks Interactive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because it's interesting. We, we we didn't get to the the Simpsons thing yet, but uh, during the we'll we'll jump around. So yeah. <laughs> the the Simpsons, this was '89. I just finished the uh, five Charlie Brown specials in '88, and then '89 the, the Simpsons started up, and so I went to go to Cat Klasky Chipo to start on the Simpsons, mm-hmm. and we, I worked on the first seven episodes, including the opening title, and then there was an opportunity to go to London. To work on Five Goes West mm-hmm. to do some effects animation. It's like, oh, I never left the country. You know, it's <laughs> not even on the area. It's not gonna be a hit, is it? Right. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So, <laughs> so I go there for a year, and uh, you know, it, you know, it's basically that studio ended up basically becoming DreamWorks. Okay. So the majority of DreamWorks uh, studio was basically that studio moved from London to Los Angeles. Mm. So I figured, well, you know. Going going back to well, we'll get to that story again, but it's mm-hmm. going back to uh, DreamWorks Interactive. I figured, well, there's a lot of people I know from Amblimation that might be there, so I went to their games division. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, I guess they weren't ready to do uh, effects for um, Prince of Egypt, mm-hmm. so I just, you know, because I eventually wanted to go in the animation department, but I stayed in the games department, you know, which is kind of cool, which is cool because I actually got to work 
directly with Steven Spielberg, which is the first time, which is really cool, on on uh, Jurassic Park 2, which was oh. The Lost World. So um, the way he works uh, with that particular project, um, he it's a big book. It's 900 pages, right? And he took the oh. best four sequences. And he's trying to um, uh, take these sequences and bridge them together in the movie. So mm -hmm. I would do 3D previs in soft homage mm -hmm. with uh, basically um, using the basis of um, some hand-drawn storyboards with another artist that went to Cal State Long Beach. Mm -hmm. <laughs> His name is Dave Lowry. Steven mm -hmm. Spielberg went to Cal State Long Beach too. So, <laughs> so it's the first time I've all you know done all this stuff with Cal State Long Beach people. You know, they, right. so it's just kind of cool. And so anyway, it worked out okay, which is kind of cool. At, at that point, I think. Um, Microsoft owned Soft Image, and mm -hmm. so there was a bit of a thing, you know, getting the software to work and all that stuff. But uh, it kind of worked, which is kind of cool. So I that, just that mentioned that, like, when I I got my first job in Korea and I used uh -huh. Soft Image, and I had like I I learned Maya in college, and I had never heard of Soft Image before. I oh, went to really? Korea. Yeah. So I just yeah. like what was this program, and then I liked right. some, like at that point it was 2010, and so okay. I liked some stuff better about Soft Image um, uh -huh. than Maya. So it did yeah. easier, but then you know, Autodesk bought it and phased it out. <laughs> right. Yeah. And prior to that, uh, Maya was Alias. That's what it yeah. was called. Yeah. And mm -hmm. Alias was more of a modeling um, mm -hmm. software more than animation because the animation tools weren't up until they were purchased, and then it became. Yeah. And I go by Buckman and... Animator, but I'm actually a 3D model. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah so you know, Softimage's problem. There was a memory leak. Oh, and okay. that that was the deal because um, you'd be working on these huge files and, uh, you know, things would crash and you, yeah. you're doing these multi-processor networks and, and, you know, it would just, if you have a lot of things going, yeah, so there was, there was, a, it was something that they had to fix and they didn't do it in time. And I think what happened was um, Maya caught up and that mm -hmm. became the standard. So that's yeah. the to transition yeah so that that happens in 2d as well like F flash for instance uh you know flash just kind of was a standard for like 20 years you know yeah. but they didn't really work on the drawing tools and so here comes toon boom and now yeah. toon boom is the standard so that's what happens so if, if you're an animator uh into this business be ready to change tools because it's changing yep. all the time and be ready to uh to learn the new software that's so, what yeah. I try to tell students because, like, um, I worked at Turbo Squid in New Orleans, and they uh -huh. have an advisory board of people from various companies like CNN and IKEA and stuff like that. And I think there right. was a guy from Blizzard. He uh -huh. said, "I think he, I think it was Blizzard." Um, but I, he said that a lot of students come out of college and like are like. I know 3ds Max, and it's like no, you know 3D. <laughs> you can learn yeah. any program, but right. there's just like one brain. So I try to tell my students, okay, if I'm teaching you Blender or if I'm teaching you Maya, you're just mm -hmm. learning the 3D. You know 3D. You can like each different program. You're just learning the navigational tools. How do I do this that I know how to do in this program? So right. That's true. That's true. And yeah. then, you know, with the, with the same software you say you know, it will change in six months with the new version. Yeah. <laughs> and you got to loot it all over again. Oh, well, they moved everything, you know. So, yeah, yeah it's just a constant thing. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So if you know the language, you're good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's see. What was the biggest breakthrough in your career? Breakthrough? If, or if you had multiple. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, it, you know, in, in retrospect, you know, working on the um, 
the uh, the the uh, Forrest Gump. That you know, and that, that was you know, that was that was a, a pleasure, really, really working on that, just to seeing, because actually uh, the the crew won on the Oscar, and that, that was that was that was great. Also at the Boss Films, I was on um, um, Poltergeist Two. We got the Oscar for that. Mm-hmm. And then as far as longevity, it has to be The Simpsons. I mean, I was just on it for uh, three seasons. Mm-hmm. But to have that thing still in production now, I did not see that coming at all. <laughs> you know? You know? So, yeah. yeah, And just to be a kind of a worldwide phenomenon that's going to mm-hmm. outlive all of us, you know, because they're still going to be <laughs> running yeah. those shows, those episodes, you know. So, yeah, that that was – those two things are probably it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, what I'm doing my own is my own thing. But as far mm-hmm. as the industry is concerned, um, those two things would probably be kind of the kind of the highlights. There have been others, but uh, yeah, they'd be standing the test of time, maybe. <laughs> so um, can you talk more about your music and how some of it has related to your art and animation? So I know there's Sofa Music, Bubblegum Death. Mm-hmm. Um, you were a drummer for Chorus of Souls. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's Okay, yeah, you know, I've been playing drums about as long as I've been animating, and I started was like eight years old, and I, you know, brought the drums to school and played, you know, played in church a lot. That's when I first started playing in front of an audience, so I wasn't yeah. afraid of people, which is kind of cool. And then when I went to Cal State Long Beach, I was in this, the, I was, you know, in high school, I was playing a Hendrix cover band, you know, doing that type of thing. So I was kind of working on my kind of jazz fusion chops, etc. Mm-hmm. And then the whole punk new wave thing happened in college. And so I was kind of the <laughs> the over-proficient drummer for, for a punk rock band. <laughs> so, yeah. so that, you know, and that did pretty well. And, you know, it, it, at that point, you know, we were opening for a lot of, uh, you know, like suburban lawns, a lot of, you know, you know, Berlin and stuff, like, you know, uh, you know, the go-go <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> blasters and stuff like that. So, you know, so uh, yeah, so you know we were kind of scouted a little bit by Warner Brothers, so they'd be calling our dorm room, you know, asking <laughs> when we'd be playing. It's like, well, am I going to do animation? I'm going to do this music thing, you know? right? And so I kind of looked at, you know, it took the long story, and then I figured, well, <laughs> I better stick with the animation because the music might go up and down, or whatever. You, you never know, you know. Mm-hmm. But I always kind of played on the side. So every Sunday, um, you know, even when I was animating, I'd have this band. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a fun band. It was Bubblegum Death. It was, it was uh, you know, two players from the sofa music, which was my own. And we did our own stuff, you know. And it was just kind of, you know, fun music. And we played a couple shows and things like that. But it, I still have the tapes. Mm-hmm. And I used some of those songs that we did in my productions now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> in my movies, it's like, oh, this is 80s sounding stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's my, it's my stuff, you know. So <laughs> I, you know, I did that. And then I kind of stayed in, in touch with the music industry uh, in terms of, you know, just following bands and, and yeah. uh, you know, playing around, things like that. Ended up doing uh, some album art for this band called The Nymphs. They were on mm-hmm. uh, Geffen Records. And uh, you know, they, they came out at the same time as Nirvana and all that stuff. So that was kind of a big deal. I was doing uh, music videos and all that stuff. And then I had, uh, during The Simpsons, I was on this band called um, uh, Course of Soul. So it's kind of a mm-hmm. gothic type of a band. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it, it was it was pretty doing pretty well. There was a breakup because I went out to um, to London to do um, Five Will Goes West. You know they were mm-hmm. kind of doing shows on their own. You know with the <laughs> with a 
you know, electronic drums. And I came back and I put all these shows together, like the whiskey and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then the band broke up. It's like, oh, okay, right. You know, <laughs> but, but, you know, we got some airplay on local radio, uh, KXLU and, and, and a couple other stations was kind of cool. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's, you know, that, and that's, you know, I've always had a, a affinity for music is to kind of do my own stuff on my own. Every once in a while, I put out a single. And so this next feature, I, I want to get back into it because, mm -hmm. you know, the way, the way things are working now, um, you know, I can probably, you know, um, you know, work remotely in terms mm -hmm. of like on shows and things like that. Because a lot of the bands right now aren't playing live shows. Right. <laughs> so I could do that. And then, you know, um, you know, the, the, the tools for distribution are a little bit different now. And a lot of the musicians are uh, supposedly just going to promote themselves because mm -hmm. <laughs> big record labels are no longer. <laughs> so you're kind of yeah. on your own. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's kind of a it's a side thing, but it's still a love. Yeah. So yeah, animation's number one, and then and I'm trying to get to the point where I can blend both of them. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I'm shooting for this year. So I'll, I'll be uh, you probably see some storyboards behind me from the yeah yeah and the watercolor things like that you know so that was from custom monsters 2 but custom monsters 3 will be a little bit different so yeah so this it's always been in the, in the background but um yeah i got you know yeah. punk rock roots <laughs> so like um i haven't i've i have never been a big like video game person because my twin brother would always beat me so no, <laughs> like in my adulthood i i lied to uh came to like um rock band so i ended up getting an xbox 360 just to play rock band and so my favorite instruments to play are like the drums and uh yeah the bass guitar but what i noticed okay so with growing up like listening to you know motown and gospel and all this stuff there's like this cadence to drums but then when i started playing rock uh -huh. band there were like some drum things where i was like what is this beat i don't i can't catch it <laughs> like like this yeah. is so so like yeah. what is the difference between like some of the rock drum beats like I, why do you, from your expert opinion what why couldn't i catch like i would try to get the rhythm I'm like i don't understand uh -huh. this rhythm <laughs> like because i guess yeah. i'm r&b and like gospel well a, a lot of our, a lot of our music and r&b and gospel such it's a lot of the two and the four you okay. know and with the european stuff is more of the one and the three okay so that's that kind of you know so the rock you know influence is a combination of both Mm -hmm. And then there's even more obscure things as well. You know, yeah. you Latin rhythms come in there, you know, and you've got, uh, you, know, you know, reggae rhythms are coming in there, you know, it's a little bit different. And then there's the whole prog rock thing, which comes out of classical music, you know, where mm -hmm. you have these funny time signatures, like the yeah. King Crimson's, you know, like, um, uh, you know, that heard that jazz uh, 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 song, Count Five. Mm -hmm. dun, 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 dun. That's five four, you know. Mm -hmm. So you got one two three four five. I was, four, in, five. I was one, in band two. too. So. Oh yeah, you know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. So th there's there's that. So that's, it's it's basically um it's it's the beat line, it, it, the bass lines and the beat is a little mm -hmm. bit different. So you gotta mm -hmm. you know, yeah, you gotta get into it. So yeah, it's interesting because I'll, I'll take this rock stuff and I'll put a little barbecue sauce on it. I'll <laughs> <laughs> make it a little more, but this is too simple, you know. Yeah, so I'm into the more um, advanced drummers and things like yeah. that. The guys that play it 100% all the time. So there's a cool uh, clip of Harry Connick Jr. because you know, like um, when when music is playing, uh, if it's a white audience, they'll clap on the one and three. And so there's uh -huh. this clip of Harry Connick Jr. where he's playing on the piano and he uh -huh. does this like 
he adds like an extra note. I don't know exactly the term, but he does something where he he's playing the music and then he's forcing them to clap on the two and the four. <laughs> oh, really? He is okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a really cool. I don't know what he does, but he kind of uh-huh. it up so that now they're clapping on the the right beat. <laughs> right, right. Well, I think that's kind of the the American thing. If you want more people to get into it, you better get the two and the four going because <laughs> otherwise it's not happening. <laughs> Yeah, so that's a marketing thing. <laughs> oh, can you yeah. um, talk a little bit more about your like Astro Thrill CD? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was um, it's interesting. It came out of the little comic books I was doing. Mm-hmm. Let's go back. Uh, Nimbus Sister was the first comic book that I did, and that was mm-hmm. when I was at um, at working on Mortal Kombat, and they, mm-hmm. uh, I was doing all the 3D, and I wanted to get back into drawing. So that was. Mm-hmm. That was my release, you know, going back into drawing was doing those comic books. And then on the inside cover of Nemesister, I'd have these little Astrothor comics, which is kind of a space alien thing. Because mm-hmm. I was working on a little space alien story while I, while I was working, you know, doing the, uh, I had these little thumbnails. I thumbnailed this whole movie of this little Astrothor space alien on my, my when my you know, scenes were rendering on soft homage. It took forever yeah. to render. It's like, oh, what am I doing? So I'd be filming stuff. And so I had this whole bunch of astrothrill stories about this half alien, half human that you know came to Earth and wanted to play rock and roll and he's being chased yeah. by other aliens and come back, come back and work on the mines, you know, stuff like that. So I had this whole storyline <laughs> with, with that, you know, and it became uh, kind of the, uh, a mini story inside the um, Nemesis comics. I eventually did seven of those and that's done as a series. It's a whole story. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I just compiled the Astro Thrill ones and uh, came up with uh, a short movie, an Astro mm-hmm. Thrill movie, animated. I was learning Flash. Mm-hmm. And so when I was working at uh, Film Roman on the side, I was, mm-hmm. you know, learning Flash, you know, and, and got this thing done. That took me, I was just learning it before I knew what I was doing in Flash. And mm-hmm. uh, it, took, it took me five years to do this 10 minute short. I do things a lot faster now, yeah. <laughs> but a lot faster, yeah. So anyway, um, I did that, and then I did a short. Um, uh, basically, it was a single, a couple of singles that I that played all the instruments, played guitar and sang and all that stuff, and I compiled them all into a comic book mm-hmm. called Astro Thrill uh, Desert Planet Disc. So you get the it's a comic it's a comic book, and you get uh, a seventeen track compilation CD. And I'll put the movie in there too if you want the movie. So I got that. So that's like a package of that era. So nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what do you hope for the future of animation as far as innovation, storylines, characters? Storylines, um, you know, what what I what I'm doing right now, I did I, I'm just trying to get into the uh, the 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 American history, <laughs> you know, yeah. the kind of pre pre-Columbian American history as far as what I'm I'm doing uh, mm-hmm. stuff in the future. I like to see more um, more spiritually based uh, material in mm-hmm. terms of um, the 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 history of man, um, mm-hmm. the history of a life in the solar system, that type mm-hmm. of thing. More mm-hmm. of a kind of a, a wider world view, mm-hmm. and hopefully to to expand people's minds and bring people together. Because I think that's that's kind of where we're at right now at this critical junction of uh, transition is where we're yeah. at, you know, where the age of Aquarius, et cetera, is supposed to be the age of enlightenment where, where the veil is lifted and you're finding out what the secrets are in, in yeah. the world and in life. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it's up to the storytellers to put those 
visions in 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 in, in, in stories that people can relate to, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, with with new characters, with that new paradigm, and to trying to bridge worlds and bring people together and uh, raise the veil of things that that have been hidden, mm-hmm. you know. So it's revelation and and bringing people together, mm-hmm. and you know, I think that's kind of what is needed at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the motion picture industry, we're, we're you know, it's really strange because all these theaters are closed now. Mm-hmm. And so these, you know, large budgeted, like, how are we going to do, you know, an Avengers movie now? You know, those are $300 million movies. Are you mm-hmm. going to make that up in streaming fees? You know, so how's that going to work without a theatrical film industry? Right. Uh, so that that's kind of, the big budget things are kind of uh, up in the air, but it, mm-hmm. that kind of opens it up for the independent people to want to tell right. smaller budget things. And the mid, you know, mid, mid price things are going to be probably, you know, your tentpole things over the just being for streaming, et cetera. But all the independent stuff that like what I was telling you about, I think that the opportunities are there for all the people to tell these small stories, you know, in small bits or longer mm-hmm. bits or, you know, binge bits, you know, whatever you want to do. So it's, it's kind of up to the, the independent filmmakers to, to, you know, use the opportunities that exist now to tell those stories because the audience is there and it's a worldwide audience. Uh, you know, yeah. a lot of people speak English now and, you know, they're broadcasting this stuff all over the world. So your audience is huge. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. Cause um, I guess, you know, people have made it through all of Netflix and all of Hulu. So they're still looking for content to watch in the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's it's my 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 kids are Avengers, you know, experts now. They've seen everything, you know, twenty times, yeah. everything on there. So, yeah, so uh, you know, and you know, new streamers are coming up. I guess uh, what uh, uh, Paramount's coming up pretty soon. They're they're still going to burn through their library, but <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that, that hasn't been produced yet. So yeah, it's 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 that's kind of where we're at at this point. So, and then yeah. when you're talking about the truth of history, and when you were mentioning um, Native Americans earlier, like the idea that, you know, when they first think of like Lewis and Clark notes or people who would come over here, they would actually talk about in their journals that the Native Americans were dark skinned. Absolutely. <laughs> so like now it's, it's more associated with being lighter skinned, but they right. essentially looked black. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In some of their journals, so I can see like, you know, and then the idea of like black cowboys, like, you know, cowboy is only associated with being black or white. And discover like Vikings weren't just white. Like, so. Right. Right. Yeah. It's so much stuff. Yeah. And and the anthropologists are uh, kind of revealing that as well, because you can't, can't lie with what's in the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And uh, also the uh, geologists as they're, they're finding out, you know, what happened um, during the uh, younger dryest period. Uh, mm-hmm. That's uh, you know basically when they had the the flood, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and uh, opened up the Bering Straits, etc. There was a meteor hit that was in um, uh, northern part of the United States near Canada mm-hmm. that uh, kind of uh, uh, exploded and then started the uh, the flood. Mm-hmm. And you can if you go, you can see through the, the um, uh, parts of uh, Canada, so you can see the floodplains and all that stuff. And that's what opened up the flood for the Bering Strait people to come in in uh, five. 15,000 years ago, but mm-hmm. the 
anthropologists are finding out there were people here all the way back in San Diego, all the way back 100,000 years ago. And so there were two groups of quote unquote American Indians. It was the Mongolians <laughs> and the Australasians mm -hmm. and who were black <laughs> mm -hmm. and then the Negroids, you know, from, um, from Africa, et cetera, et cetera, were here already. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're a you're not going to really tell you <laughs> that if you're trying to take over people yeah. <laughs> you know, and get them off the land. Mm -hmm. So uh, anyway, um, yeah, you know, those are those are the stories that are that are unfolding, and uh, we're getting more and more information as we uh, go back in time. Like recently, we found out that Gobekli Tepe goes back mm -hmm. even further than uh, Samaria, you know, mm -hmm. to, to fifteen thousand uh, A.D. And we're finding out, you know, what's what happened to the Sphinx, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, you know, and how far that goes back fifteen thousand years ago because you have the, the watermarks on the Sphinx, and then if you do mm -hmm. the the math, you know, you figure out that uh, this was the the wet period, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we're finding out more and more about um, life here on the Earth mm -hmm. as as we go, and then more. I think we'll find out life on other parts, other planets as well. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's the that's the. Uh, the veil that's being lifted right now mm -hmm. and that's an opportunity to tell all kinds of stories mm -hmm. you know because uh, the people are people yeah and uh you know we, we can have a larger palette to draw from as well mm -hmm. and then bring new ideas so that's what i'm thinking <laughs> um and so you've talked about this a little bit but what do you feel is the importance of incorporating your culture into projects when given the opportunity um, basically because no one else is doing it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, we already know what the name mainstream culture is, you know, they, you know, they have their chance to do their thing. Um, there's millions of other people that have other <laughs> stories to tell and no one's really yeah. telling it. And since we're mm -hmm. here, lucky enough to be here in the United States, we have the opportunity to do that. Um, someone's going to have to take the lead or at least open the door. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, cause you know, those those are refreshing stories that uh, you know people, you know, kids, you know, families, etc., would like to take out their uh, their uh, you know people to go see to to, yeah. to to tell these stories and to learn and to reflect and have a kind of a wider range of the human experience. And I think it's going to benefit all of us if we yeah. get everybody involved in their culture and it's just to see how uh, wonderful and magical uh, the human existence is mm -hmm. in its full breadth of 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 the uh the palette so i think yeah. that's you know if you're an animator <clears throat> you know the sky's the limit as far as mm -hmm. as far as that concerned because you can tell any type of story you can press time you can uh, morph characters mm -hmm. um, use your artistic uh, talents etc etc so yeah those, those stories should should be told it's, it's time <laughs> yeah. even for the mainstream if you go like Coco or Black Panther, like Coco is like popular amongst so many different cultures of kids. Yeah. And then Black right. Panther was like a gangbusters, like success. So exactly, exactly. Yeah. It, well, <laughs> and then <laughs> that's kind of a hidden thing because there was a Native American tribe the Wakanda tribe. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll get into that. So there's, there's a, a inside <laughs> twist on that. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah, and if that was somebody else telling that story, it'd probably be a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, that that'd be interesting. Imagine if uh, uh, it took place in Cahokia, possibly. You know, mm -hmm. you know, which was, yeah. 
So anyway, <laughs> we won't go into that, but uh, <laughs> that was the so, largest city in the world of the, in, in the 1400s. Nice. In, in yeah, that, it'll, it'll be interesting because I like the idea, well, Black Panther, I like the idea of, okay, what would it, what would the world have looked like for Africa if it was untouched and able to just go skyrocket? So that'll be interesting to do with right. the, like Native American culture and stories too. Yeah, yeah, it really would. So, it really would. Like the Maya, um, how they destroyed um, the was it the Mayans and the Incas, or like they just destroyed all of their information. So they like they had yeah. so such sophisticated things that right. they just destroyed. Like what? <laughs> yeah. I think I think the uh, the the uh, Vatican has a, a, the only remaining copies of that stuff, and that's it. So everything is gone. So um, now it's just kind of uh, yeah, it's ancient stories, uh, rock carvings, and uh, archaeology is the only way to to dig that stuff up. Mm. Um, I know a lot of the Mayans. Some of them went to um, Cambodia, <laughs> believe mm -hmm. it or not, uh, and and others just disappeared some went to uh north america um mm -hmm. during cahokia the reason they had some of the uh sacrifice uh ceremonies i think some of the mayans went up there and introduced that to them um mm -hmm. not too many but uh yeah and the 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 omics disappeared as well mm -hmm. um so yeah and then there's <laughs> there's interesting stories about where they went to anyway yeah. but it's uh <laughs> We won't get into that, but <laughs> that's for a later date. <laughs> yeah. So, what do you hope Black animation professionals do in in, the, in this current landscape that you wish you could have done? So, like with all this technology that we have access to, I mean, you're still uh -huh. doing it, but what do you hope, like um, emerging and you know a, a little bit established Black animation professionals are doing in this current landscape? Yeah, you know. Um... It's amazing. You know, I'd really like there to be um, maybe a black studio would be great, you know, you know, so we can tell our own stories. That'd be great. Um, mm -hmm. I think at this point, uh, individual filmmakers, go ahead and do your stories. And then, you know, maybe at some point, uh, an aggregator, uh, mm -hmm. which would be a producer, mm -hmm. could bring all these storytellers together and create a studio later. But don't stop that from making your stories. Right. So, Go ahead and do your stories and bring up, build up your IP, you know, because uh, stuff gets recycled and, you know, it may be old. You want to do a new version of, you know, of your IP and build up a world. That's another thing storytellers are doing now is not telling individual stories. They're creating worlds, mm -hmm. right? So multiple stories can go in. Look at Marvel, for instance, mm -hmm. or Harry Potter, for instance. You know, there's all these spinoff stories in that, you know. So not only create your story, create your world and all your little projects can spin off of that. and and keep keep building that you know your yeah. different ip you know even if you don't have the uh, the uh, funds maybe to do a movie do a graphic novel you know you, mm -hmm. you still have that story done you know in you know for for your ip or do another piece of uh um you know a story or like a series of paintings and things like that so it's mm -hmm. like you're always creating your ip and then building and then you know um eventually somebody will will come around and and uh you know, grab it and then bring your stuff to life. But yeah. sometimes things take a long time to uh, to to germinate. Like for instance, the Crow movie that took 14 years to happen. There was mm -hmm. a period uh, in the 90s where I was doing a lot of the comic books and things like that, and a lot of the creators um, were doing the comics in the hopes of you know becoming uh, animated projects. And mm -hmm. there was a period that HBO was like going down through the. <laughs> 
HBO animation was going down the independent publishers pavilion and then just plucking all these creators and stuff like that and making IP, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So um, like for instance, um, uh, Yona Vasquez that did the Johnny the High Homicidal Maniac and mm -hmm. uh, Vader Zim was his spinoff to that. You know, So basically he was creating his IP through these comic books and then mm -hmm. Vader Zim was a spinoff of that, you know? Yeah. So, so as an animator, et cetera, you know, create your stories and then eventually you can either do them, animate them yourself or present them to a studio, et cetera, but you're creating a world. So um, as you create your brand and your stories, um, you know, hopefully people will uh, will pick that up or just produce yeah. it yourself. So it's just like always be creating, always yeah. create your own IP. I think that's really important to create your own stories, not be so much interested in working on other people's stuff. I mean, it's good yeah. to, um, to, you know, pay the bills, et cetera, and to build up chops. But uh, we're at the point where, you know, content is king. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of creators out there and there's a lot of interesting stories that probably in your closet <laughs> or in your drawer, that's probably just great because you stopped on it. You know, when yeah. seen it, you know? so just keep working it and keep, you know, Mm -hmm. Every five, because I don't really watch TV anymore. I've seen all the TV I need to do, mm -hmm. <laughs> need to see, and you know, I go to movies when something's really special. Yeah. So I don't really um, spend a lot of time watching other people's stuff at this point. I'm, I'm always mm -hmm. creating. Mm -hmm. So there's a fine balance as a creator. You know, you, you want to be informed about mm -hmm. the latest uh, bits of stuff or the latest ways of telling stories as you're learning, etc. But right. it's, at some point, you have to like, you know stop and start doing your stuff yeah and so just just keep that going all the time and just create because i you know it's taken me like 20 years to build up my ip i've got a lot of stuff now mm -hmm. but you know i can go into a meeting and I oh here's something kids thing oh mm -hmm. here's you know because so, you built it up over the years so that's what i would uh, suggest to any um, creator now is it's just you know keep working on your your stories and your properties and and if you can, you know, animate shorts to bring a bit of that together, that's good. If you can animate a feature, that's good. If you could just do mm -hmm. a, a comic book, a one-off comic, fine. Uh, if you could do graphic novel, um, which can be translated into a story. Like, for instance, Michelle Gagné, who's mm -hmm. a, a effects animator that um, came out of Warner Brothers and Iron Giant, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. He did a, uh, a series of uh, uh, comic books called Zed, mm -hmm. which is basically uh, a comic book, right? But he mm -hmm. kept all the Photoshop files, and he's using those Photoshop files in his feature film, which he's doing by himself. Um, he got basically he did uh, 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 a short in Toon Boom. He was learning mm -hmm. Toon Boom, and he brought his Photoshop files and animated over it. You know, it looked great. And then um, there was a, uh, a film company that in Belgium that uh, optioned it. And uh, I guess he wanted to do the film himself, so he took it back. So now he's spending two years on his own um, doing the film himself. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he's got, so once again, you start with the comic book and you can bring those same files into your animated project and then work with that as a base and then build it from there. Mm -hmm. And of course he has all his other IP as well. So he's building a world of yeah. his vision, which is kind of cool. So um, I, I would suggest that whatever your world is, you know, and just, you know, go from there. So as an independent, that's what I would do. <laughs> so if um, a couple more questions, if you had a documentary, uh, what things would you highlight about yourself outside of your work in animation? Wow. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, 
Wow. Uh, no, my kids, <laughs> my kids probably being a dad, you know, it's, it's great. You know, I have two girls. Um, yeah, that and, and uh, you know, coming out of the surf culture and skateboarding culture, that type of thing, uh, that whole dog town thing. I kind of grew up with that. Um, uh, the music, the whole kind of punk rock thing that was happening, you know, because um, just seeing that progress and seeing it kind of take over. And you think of what Lollapalooza and all that stuff, you know, um, is that. And uh, I don't know, being around the film business and, and some of the um, the the Brat Pack actors are actually my friends. <laughs> um, just yeah. to see how they they kind of uh, kind of revolutionized Hollywood for for a period, which is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know how Los Angeles has changed, um, how it uh, is now, which um, is kind of difficult. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so yeah, that and uh, working hard. <laughs> So yeah, that's it. I guess so. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so where can people purchase your art and music? Oh, okay. Yeah, I have. I'm kind of all over. I've got. Uh, you can go to my my main website, which is craig-clark.com. That's my portfolio website. There's that. There's a new entity that I'm starting called Jingle King Entertainment, which I'm starting with a friend of mine. Um, mm -hmm. We're doing animation and uh, and. Uh, we have a shop and things like that and we're doing music for uh, websites jingles as well mm -hmm. and uh, let's see i'm on um, facebook i have a facebook group for um, for the custom monsters um, mm -hmm. custom monsters group <laughs> that's mm -hmm. on there i'm on instagram at craig underscore clark underscore annum on instagram and i'm on twitter there um, I think it's Mummy Daddyo or Craig Clark, one of the two. I'm not on there at ten <laughs> that much, but uh, yeah, I'm usually working. But uh, yeah, check check those out, and then you can see the custom monsters on OSI 74 on Roku. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I have a little, you see the two movies and the 20 episodes and all kinds of fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, Craig, I'd like to thank you for sitting down with me and sharing your life. Um, oh. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much. Everybody, uh, great to see you and uh, keep working hard. And for everyone out there, I want you to like so I know it's real. Comment and tell me how to subscribe to Seal the Deal and sign up for post notifications to show your zeal. And I'll see you in the next video. Peace.